the views and opinions on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of ESPN Tucson 1490 and 104.9 FM or the Arizona Lotus Corporation. Got car trouble? Now's the time to talk with Jerry on the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show. Call in now at 719-1490. Well, if you're one of the millions who own one of them gas-drinking, piston clanking, air-polluting, smoke-belching, four-wheeled buggies from Detroit City, then pay attention. I'm about to sing your song, son. To the second hour of the Simmons Car Care Shop Talk Show, right here on ESPNTucson.com, fourteen ninety AM, one hundred four point nine FM. I'm Jerry Simmons, your host. Long Ride Shotgun with me is Jim Mooney from Frontier Towing for all of your towing needs. And we're talking shop. We're talking a lot of shop. You still with me, Jim? I'm still here. Well, uh, Mr. Super Safe Saturday. Um, but uh, getting back to the conversation I had with uh, Mike Parker yesterday, and I asked him, I said, is there any particular thing you want me to pass on to the consumer? And so he goes in and uh, he tells me about the things that he sees come in, and believe it or not, his number one thing that he's seeing a lot of, he does offer tires, so he can sell tires, but they'll come in, and then when they do the inspection, they take a picture, they take the customer out and show him what the tires look like, what they're doing, how to check them yourself, and so, and make sure, once again, for the ones that wasn't with me the first hour, Make sure the tire size for your car is what it's supposed to be. Your late model stuff now has monitors that actually will fuss and light up and complain and everything else. Because if you have a tire that's too big, because it monitors the rotation of the car tire, and if you have a wrong size tire, it'll, it'll create a little problem with the computer system on it. So make sure that the tire you put on there is the speed rating that you, it, well, the tire shops are supposed to not sell you the tire unless it's a speed rating for the application, okay? You can look on the door jam on a pillar on the uh, side of the car inside, and it'll tell you what size tires you're supposed to be wearing, uh, running on the car. So run that. And, uh, but... On the, uh, as far as what to do, the winter time is coming up, and we have a tendency to get a little lazy with the cooling system when winter time comes up because, oh, well, it's cool out there. Now we don't really have to worry about the cooling system. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. The antifreeze in it loses its additives, 
So you need to change your antifreeze. If you are on a change schedule for your antifreeze, believe it or not, they recommend changing the antifreeze every two years. Even the long-life antifreeze, once you change it out, once you open a closed system, then you change it two years or 24,000 miles. Some people say, yeah, well, I can go 30,000 miles. You can go 100,000 miles. That's, a, that's your car. You can do anything you want to with it. However, it's recommended to keep all the, the buildup and keep the fluid fresh in there that's servicing the lube, uh, keeps the water circulating. It helps uh, offset the electricity inside the system that is created by water running over metal and circulating inside at high speeds. So, excuse me, but that that's the reason you check that. You, you want to keep somebody on the hood, at least periodical, a little bit of maintenance all the time. You'll be happy. And, but make sure that your tires are the right ones. Make sure that they're the right size. Pay attention to the A dot number which is a little round circle on the tire, and it has four numbers in it. It'll be the first two will be the week of the year. The second two would be the year itself. You know, I use the example the first. If, if it's a 10-month, if it's a 10th week of 2022, it'll be 10-22. And keep an eye on that little deal. It depends on your driving habits, your environment, since we're across the around the world, your environment, if it rains a lot or if you've got heavy moisture, the tires, the sidewalls, the rubber does not deteriorate as fast as it does in Arizona where it sits outside at the extreme temperatures that we have. Um, don't fix it. I'm going to sell it. People don't get lured into this thought process because I had this conversation with my dad, God rest his soul, uh, years ago. And I, dad was from a farm. All right, we were raised on a farm. And the theory there, hey, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And I told dad, if you don't fix the car, take out a burial insurance on the car. Because when you get ready to fix it, when it quits, and it will, you won't be able to afford to fix it. And that was because, and the reason I told him that was because he had chocolate milk, clabbered chocolate milk in the radiator on a General Motors product. And he did. He run that thing another year and a half before it grenaded. And then he got $35 for it at a junkyard because the, to call, the cost to fix it meant a new engine, a new radiator, water pumps, everything in a cooling system, including the engine. So if you if you plan on selling it, don't sell it to a friend. If you don't fix it, I'm going to sell it. Don't sell it to a friend because you still have the problem. So, but a lot of people do it, and, you know, the dealerships know it, and the people trading a lot, so they know it. And uh, so everything is adjusted accordingly. So if normally used cars, don't you dare buy one unless you have it checked out by a reputable automotive service center. Hey, Jerry. You take it to your favorite. Yep. Uh, we got another caller, uh, Charles. I think he wants to go back on the subject about electric cars. 
cost of uh, electricity production. You want to take that call? Oh, yeah. Well, let's go with that. Okay. Charles, good morning. Welcome to ESPN Simmons Car Care Show. Yes, Jerry. Thank you very much. Hope you're having a great day, and I listen to your show every Saturday morning if I can. Well, thank you. What can we do for you? Okay, the other night on uh, the radio, I don't know the man's name, but he stated that it costs three times as much to produce the uh, electricity to drive a car, and he's more than gasoline. Hello? Yeah, I'm still here. Hello? Yeah. Well, I think we've lost Charles. So, Charles, if you're listening to the radio and you can hear me going out on the radio. Jim, can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. Now, uh, he was going, I think his phone just uh, yeah, one I think of those it's, glitches. It's, I think his phone dropped. He, we, okay. It looks like he's calling back in. I'll see if I can get him back on. Okay? All right. Thank Perfect. you. And we will go ahead and uh, see what uh, what kind of numbers it, uh, this actually showed up. Yeah, it it cost. That's the electric gasoline for these electric cars that we're talking about, and how much it actually costs to produce this, and what resources we're having to use to produce the extra uh, grids that is going to be requiring electricity. So it should be interesting to see what, if you can get him back on, see what kind of numbers he come up with. Hey, Jerry? Uh, uh, because, uh, yeah. We got Charles back. All right, good. Charles, with us, huh? All right, good. So tell yes, me, sir, here Charles, I am. you there? All right, good, buddy. Uh, tell me a little bit more about this uh, conversation that you heard the other day about uh, three times the cost as much. Did they elaborate any on it? Yes, sir. All I re- really remember is that the man stated that it costs three times as much to produce electricity for an electric car than it does to, pr- to produce gasoline. Hello? Well, yeah. I, uh, Jerry, you're really low. I've got my phone turned up all the way. Okay. Uh, well, can you hear me now? Barely, but go ahead. Okay. Maybe the producer can add some volume to me. Um, but on the, uh, on that, yeah, there's there's all sorts of stuff out there right now because when you start talking about what the electric producers have got to go through to get the electric to the cars, they are having to ramp up also. And right now they're still using coal. They're still using diesel fuel. They're using natural gas to and but all of a sudden there's just extra stuff that we have to do. 
So this is part of the infrastructure that I was talking about that has to be addressed before I find it a viable issue. You know, if I were going to be driving around town, you know, 100 miles at a max during a day, and I was running a delivery service or something like that, like an Uber or something, uh, yeah, I, I think the electric car, you know, if that's if that's what you want to do, but do it for the right reasons. If you think that you're going to clean up the environment 100%, you're not looking at the total picture. And I'm for cleaning the environment. I don't like the smell of going by an airport, you know, when you're driving. I turn the air conditioning on to inside, and that's all I'm dealing with is inside clean air. And so I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer. Let's, you know, clean up the environment as much as we can, but let's have the rest of the world clean it up also. And because it's a global issue, it's just not a U.S. issue. But clean. Yes, sir. And I pity cold. California uh, because mm-hmm. they're going all electric in what what year? I don't remember. And I pity those people. The electric grid is going to go down. And a lot of other states, the electric electric power is going to go down because of all this charging. Uh, Yeah, unless unless the generators that are generating the electric car fuel is ready to go. They're going to have to increase the production of electricity in order to stay up. So that's part of the infrastructure that the U.S., uh, the federal government, your tax dollar, my tax dollar, is putting out there to try to get this thing put in. It's $369 billion, I think, being put forward to the electric stuff. Billion with a B. That is huge. And it's, you know, 300 if I remember correctly, that's over, what, a quarter of a trillion dollars. So there's a lot of money being put out in it. You know, how well it's going to work, hey, we'll just we'll find out. But it's one of those things that I can punch holes in anything. I can punch holes in a gas car. I can punch holes in electric cars. I can punch holes in electric trucks, three-quarter tons and stuff to haul horse trailers with. You know, there's all sorts of downside to this. And when you're looking, okay, what about the upside? Well, tell me how they're going to create all this electric car juice with windmills. That ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen with the current system that we have in for the hydro plants. So they're going to have to get with the program and come up with something better. They're having problems even getting chemicals to make the batteries for your electric vehicles now. So they've got to ramp up. And it's just going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess for a while. Uh, it's something new, and everybody is like solar panels, putting them on the top of your house. And they said, well, you can put solar panels on your house and reduce your uh, electric bill down to $1.50 a month. Now, that's a long way from 150 to 200 a month. And then, but it'll, it'll only cost you $28,000. And I'm going, you do the math on it, I'll be dead before I ever get the money back out of it. That's right. And I just, 
you know, I don't, uh, I, I'm, I'm having some issues and people are looking at it at a more realistic way and saying, okay, let's, let's take a good look at this. And if you're buying a car, you just don't go out and pull into one of the car dealerships and say, okay, I want this car without doing any research on it, without looking at what, what kind of mileage we get. We've been mileage constant ever since they've had a car. I mean, I remember when I was driving a 59 Chevrolet six-cylinder, my dad's. And we at that time, the gasoline prices was 29 cents a gallon. But when you're 16 years old, you don't have that extra money to fill up a car. And so I've been fuel economy conscious ever since I can remember. And now you've got these electric cars. And I said, okay. So if I want to go to Phoenix and back, am I going to be able to do it without having to stop and gas up? Nope. I can't on my diesel. I can't on my Honda. I can't on my motorhome. But I can go. You know, you can still pull in, get gas, and then be on the road. I don't have to wait in line. I don't want to wait in line. I'm impatient like most of America is right now. We're just impatient. But I have learned in my senior years, to buy into being patient and let's just see what happens and let's see how this thing goes because it's already signed in, the money's already allocated to it, and so it's a done deal. You can't change history, so we have to figure out a way to work with it. Industry has been really good in adjusting to whatever the federal government says, you will do this. I'm like everybody else. I don't like anything shoved down my throat. However, if it'll make it better, then fine. But so far, they haven't showed me that it's going to make it better. And that's my own personal opinion. That has nothing to do with ESPN. But it's better. It's cleaner. I've ridden in these cars, and they're quiet. Uh, the upkeep on them, when you stop and think about it, if you're running a full electric, you don't have an oil change and even that little hybrid three-cylinder sitting in there, uh, the uh, gasoline motor, you don't have belts on it. You don't have – there's a lot of advantages if they have the charging system correct. But the price of those batteries – is almost mind-boggling if you have to replace the entire battery. I do know that they're designing the electric batteries now where you can actually change a cell out. So you can change a cell, and that don't cost you $26,000. But, you know, uh, even a Prius battery, if you have to buy a Prius battery, okay, you're going to be spending, what, $800 to $1,000 for a total battery. And somebody told me the last one that I talked to it on the press said, when I, I told him, I said, what do you spend now, about a grand for a battery? He said, how about 1800 I bought a aftermarket electric car battery, not from Toyota, but aftermarket. And it went bad. That battery went bad in, I want to say, six months. And then he went to get it replaced. And the average life on that battery is about six months aftermarket. Yeah, you save yourself two or three hundred dollars on it, but it still went bad. He went back and bought Toyota's battery, which was about 
I'm thinking the job was probably around sixteen, seventeen hundred, and he hasn't had any problems with the OE battery from Toyota that goes into Prius. So it's it's a matter of the public, we the public, learning how to shop, what to look for, uh, the availability. That includes if you know gas shortage. I I figured we'd have a gas shortage by now in order to keep the price up. And I have pulled in at stations that had they were out of gas, and they I asked them why are you out of gas? Said well we had more people just pulling in and gassing up, and we're not getting our delivery the way we used to. So I don't know what's going on there. They didn't know either because I asked them, and. So it's just it's just part of the system now. You know, everything's up in the air. Everything everybody's working in electric, trying to come up with all this stuff. A little little point: uh, when the gas companies start investing in windmills, you know something is coming, and they've been doing that for a while. Now I got that from a, a, a reputable source. So yes, Jerry, I remember. I'm, I'm a Tucson boy. I grew up here. And in the 60s, uh-huh. gasoline regular was going for uh, 14 cents a gallon. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, about, about the generators, Lake Mead is way down, and, and they're only having one generator to generate electricity. And I'm sure that that's a problem across the, at least the southwest. It is. So that's, you know, that's the push. That's the push, and they want it to be that way in order to get the agenda pushed through. You know, they're going to, you know, uh, all right, I want Simmons. How many people can go out and buy a 60,000, 70,000, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 electric vehicle? How many of the motor, the working people, the blue-collar workers, are going to have the extra cash just to go out and buy one. I don't care if there's a $7,500. You take $60,000 and they give you $7,000 off. How many people can afford like a forty-eight dollars or $50,000 electric vehicle? Now, GM is producing. They're having cars made in Mexico right now, and they're saying they'll bring it back to the States. It's got a 150-mile range. And it'll run twenty-two to $23,000. I said, wow, that's, that's a good... So I'm anxious to see what they're going to be when they get back. And then I find out a GM has given the previous Volt buyers a check for $6,000 on conditions they won't sue them when the batteries go out premature or the batteries catch on fire, but they won't be suing GM. So that's going to be a billion-dollar hit. So everything is just moving, and everything, if you let it, if you follow the news all the time on this stuff, it'll drive you crazy because common sense comes into play, and if it's truly common, everybody would have it. If you've had a vehicle and you're on the third or fourth vehicle, you have the common sense to say, okay, if I pull into a service station, I can gas up and go in about 10 minutes. That's on the high side if I wash the windshield. That thing is full, and you're out, and you're ready to go. You're happy, 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 happy. And if it quits on the side of the road because you're out of gas, okay, that's shame on you. I had that happen to me and my Mustang. 
68 Mustang. You're thinking I'm intelligent enough to look at the gas gauge. I am. I didn't, but I am. <laughs> when I had to call my neighbor to come and get me. That's just something that happens. If you run out of gas on a freeway, which Jim, who's on this show right now, will tell you that that does happen. However, at least you can move the car. And it don't take you, what, how long does it take to get an electric car off the freeway if he's out of charge, Jim? Uh, well, it's not too bad. It's, the problem with the electric car out of, out of gas is it's locked up. It won't roll. So you can't just put it in neutral and roll it up the hill, up the bed, because it's locked up. The electric motors lock in place, and they don't, they won't disengage. Mm-hmm. Now it depends on what situation you're in. If, if you're in a, if you're, in a, if it's a crash situation, it takes well, literally two minutes because you're not going to care at that point. If it's just a car that's dead, you're going to be there 30 minutes trying to get it unhooked and get get it into what they call the tow mode. So that's a pretty a pretty uh, challenging uh, situation to do just on the side of the freeway. If you have the specialty tool to go in and do it right. Well, it's 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 a it's a 12 volt jumper pack and and tear the tear the console apart to get to the battery. You have to. It's not just you can't just plug into it. I mean, if they made it so you could plug into it, it would be great. But you know, an override. But they don't have that. They because their cars never break. Electric cars don't break. Just ask them. And so, so getting it. Yeah. You can you can do it on the side of the freeway. Um, you can you can you know put it up on uh, with dollies and stuff. Again, you're trying to assemble that on the side of the freeway. It takes a little bit of time, uh, but there's no drive right. shaft to disconnect. There's no there's no kicking it out of, in out of park. So you have uh-huh. to you have to release the braking system, which is the high the electric right. motors. That's where the challenge comes in. Right. Right. Okay, so if you run out of gas on a gas vehicle, you just go out and you suck it up on the back of the wrecker and take it out of there, right? Or you can put, you know, they've got, I've seen where they put gas in them and see if it'll start. And I'm going, okay. Huh? That's, yeah, put put a gallon of gas in it, put a couple gallons of gas in it if you ran out. And it does happen, surprisingly, people... With all the technology today, with a gas gauge and a light and a and a buzzer that comes on to tell you you're out of gas, still don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, there, yeah. you know, maybe the steering wheel is in the way of the gas gauge. I don't know, but um, you put a gallon of gas in, thing fires up, and you're on your way. At least you can make it to the gas station. Mm-hmm. And you're not putting a gallon mm-hmm. of electricity in the car. There's no way to put a, a gallon. I mean, you could go out there if you had a portable charging station. You could go out there and charge the vehicle. Well, that's you know. Now you're on the side of the road for thir- at least 30 minutes to charge it up. You know, I don't want to stand on the side of the freeway. For That's once you. That is after you get to them, correct? After you get to them, yes. You, okay, so you got the access time depending on what part of the uh, I-10 they're setting on going to Phoenix. Uh, well, you know, hopefully everybody will right. figure it out and everybody will adjust it. And- and of course, you're driving an electric car. What? You're not. You're not going to be in the in the pat in the in the right lane. You're going to be in the in the high speed lane, which means you're going to go towards the median. Even more challenging to get to you. So now now you're on, oh, the, yeah. on the median side, up against 
up against the wall or you're up against the cables or you're in the in the median itself so there's because you're driving along and it starts to you know as the car runs out of power it I'm sure I've never seen one do it. I should get one out. I should go rent one, Jerry, and we should run it out of fuel just so we can see what happens, right? <laughs> we should run about so going to call see them. how far she can go. <laughs> well, we'll have to have a truck follow us. That's the problem. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> so as, as, you know, as it starts to slow down, you're going to try and get over. Well, you and I both know merging on, on the interstate is pretty tough because at 75 or 80 or 90 miles an hour, what everybody drives on the freeway these days. Um, getting right. over to the right side is going to be tough enough as it is. You're trying to cross three or four lanes, and to get to the get to the shoulders and not get not have a collision as you're doing that. Um, at least the car will give you a little bit of a hiccup. You know, it'll, it'll jump up and down and give you a hiccup and say, "Hey, um, as I'm not acting right," versus the car just kind of starts to slow down. So. Those are those are challenges that we all face in today's new electric world. I mean, it's, it's you know well, or, get through. Yeah, Something if you take work. a gas burner, uh, we have a big uh, F550 we use in search and rescue, and I get a call on a Sunday afternoon. He said the darn thing won't run, and I'm going okay. <clears throat> and I said, what's it doing? He said it just it'll it'll start up and go dead. Start up and go dead. What happened, and I asked him, I said, do you have, I know it's got a lot of radios and stuff. How is it hooked in? And do you have an auxiliary battery in that truck? And he said, I don't know. So he makes a phone call, calls me back. Yes, we have an auxiliary battery. I said, disconnect the auxiliary battery that runs all the communications on that truck. And let's see if it'll start. So he disconnects it. And he said, it started right up. And I said, according to a technical service bulletin on this particular truck, anything that you have that has a battery-operated uh, system in it, like, like the emergency car vehicles, if that battery, it will override the battery that the truck is operating on. It'll get into, it'll go into the system, merge into the system, and it will override it or can override it, and it creates a start, not run, start, not run. It'll just fire off and go dead. And uh, so he changed that, and I said, he said, well, how are we going to fix this? I said, you've got to find a, a source for your communication equipment by itself. And he said, Oh, okay. So I have no idea what they did with it. I didn't hear anything about it. But the last call that we had, that truck was there. So I guess it's running fine. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. So for the people putting in, and we see a lot of this, uh, for people putting in alarm systems in cars, or they'll put uh, TVs and all of this, and they'll get the wrong wire. And first thing you know, you got all sorts of electronic problems, and then you take it into a shop. Well, we have learned to ask, did you add, what did you do to this just before you started having the problem? And that helps us diagnose and back into the system. And that's on anything. You know, you put spark plugs in it, 
it has a miss. What did you break when you put the spark plugs in it? Did you have a bad spark plug in it before? Well, it was running fine. And then I put brand new spark plugs in it and started having a miss. Well, that helps us when we go into our diagnostics to find out what he did to the vehicle that was incorrect. And so it wasn't nothing against the guy. Everybody does it. You know, it's just it, one of the little questions that you have to ask. That's the reason it's so critical to tell the service writer or whoever's writing up a ticket on it of the problems, everything you know about it, when it started. What did you do to it prior to it having this problem? And there, we find a lot of stuff that way, just for what did you do to it prior to this? Because we like, we, you still got people like to tinker on the cars. You can't tinker on these late model cars. You tinker on them, you better be doggone sure that you know exactly what you're doing before you short out something inadvertently. And then it's a, it's on. And everybody, it's kind of like trying to track down pack rat problems in a car. It's almost impossible. I mean, you just are there for hours looking at wires and with mirrors and magnifying glasses and touch and everything else trying to figure out what's going on with the electronic system. And then if you really want to see a nightmare, have pack rats in an electric vehicle. That is a nightmare. Now, the good news is if you have good insurance on it, your insurance will cover the repair of the pack rat damage. One time is what I was told, but I don't know. They, they, if you have two or three claims, they probably will not honor it. I don't know. I don't, depending on how much money you spend with that insurance company. Hey, Jerry? But that is, yeah. We got another caller. Uh, Mike wants to talk about fuel additives and axle oil. You want to take that call? Sure. Put Mike on. We'll go. So, but, uh, Mike, good morning. Welcome to the Simmons Car Care Show. Hey, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. Um, so I had a question. I, I run when I go to put like some fuel injector cleaner in. Is it better to um, like go on a, right before I go on a trip, so I run the whole tank full of cleaner through the system, or is it better if like I just use it as my daily driver and it gets driven every day, so little by little the, the cleaner goes through the system, or does it make any difference? Uh, ideally, if you want to uh, clean it out and you're, let's say you're going from here to Flagstaff, so you're going to be about six hours, five and a half hours on a sustained run. That works really good because the engine is in closed loop operation. The engine is at operating temperature. And so it'll burn longer, burn cleaner, and it's more consistent. However, you need to run that cleaner in your vehicle while you're running, put putting around town or running. It takes, it goes into closed loop pretty good, depending on, or pretty quick, depending on the type of vehicle that you're driving. Uh, if you're driving a 55 Chevrolet, it takes a lot longer for it to get up to operating temperature. If you're driving a 2018 Chevrolet, it's in closed loop pretty darn quick. And the rule of thumb, if you drive 20 minutes on a run. That does a whole bunch of things. It gives the engine time to clean up, and then the raw fuel that was burning for the few seconds when you first fired it up gives it a chance to burn out through the exhaust, and the fuel additive in the is the best way to do the fuel additive is actually about every third tank. 
And yeah, I know it sounds like there's going to be a lot of expense, but uh, on General Motors cars, on Ford products, uh, they're saying that you add a can of gas additive to your engine at every oil change. And I'm going, yeah. Uh, depends on what, how many miles you go on an oil change. I don't like to put a can of additive in my diesel at 10,000 miles because I don't drive it that much. So I back mine down and I put a can of diesel fuel conditioner in there at uh, 5,000 miles minimum. And I got a fairly new, I don't have any miles on. I got 29,000 miles on an 18. So if you're driving the average, which is 12,000 miles a year in the state of Arizona, it's more like 15. I'd put it in every third tank, and then if you want to sneak it on up to about every fifth tank, do it. But be careful and don't overdo the amount of cleaner because if it says it will treat 25 gallons and you have a 25-gallon tank and you pour a can of additive in there and you run it down to a quarter of a tank and you think, oh, well, it's time to put more additive in it. Well, remember that you still got a quarter of a tank of treated fuel in the vehicle. So uh, we actually had a car that come in that was running on nothing but additive, and it would not run. And we had to drain the tank, and I told the lady, uh, ma'am, when you get ready to put this fuel conditioner in on this on this vehicle, you call me in case you forget how often you're supposed to do it, and I will tell you. But right now, I don't want you to use any more fuel conditioner in this because the amount that you had in it, that's got to be the cleanest running motor in Tucson, Arizona. So don't put any more fuel conditioning in it for probably six months. And I haven't heard from her, so I guess it worked. But you you can overdo it, and it's not that it will hurt the engine. It's just you're wasting your money. Because when it says it'll treat 25 gallons, they've already tested it. They know that it'll treat 25 gallons. So just be careful on how much fuel additive you have in these vehicles. If you have a vehicle that you're only going to drive 100 miles a year, put some Stabile. Stabile is the name of it. It's an oil, it's a gas preservative. You know, it keeps all the crap building up in the gasoline. And it will allow it to still be gasoline instead of lacquer thinner when you do drive it. So if you've got a little car that you don't use that much, especially in generators, you can use stay-building generators. You can, if you got a motor home and has a generator on it, make sure you run stable in the fuel delivery system. To, and most of them are tapped into the gas tank on the motor home. Run the stable in the gasoline. Run it through, run the generator long enough to access, to pull the stable in through the lines that feed the generator. And then it'll keep you from having a lot of problems down the road. So, but fuel injection cleaner, you don't, you know, uh, be honest with you, just you can run it on a trip because it gives you that sustained run. It gives you that sustained run at operating temperature. I know a diesel, if it if it starts plugging up, you can hook a boat to it or a horse trailer to it with about 7,000 pounds behind you and go to Flagstaff. When you get back to Tucson, it's running like a brand-new diesel, and you didn't even know it was running bad to start with. So the long, sustained run is ideal for it. 
So, yes, you can do it. You can run the long sustained runs, but you've got to protect it from the short runs too as much as you possibly can because the carbon and stuff will start building up in there. It does not run long enough to move that soft carbon out with the cleaner in it on the short runs. So did that help you with an answer? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks. Um, okay, but when you put the fuel additive in, put the fuel additive in first, then put your fuel in. And that will mix it up, and you won't have to drive 100 miles before it's ever mixed up like it's supposed to be. Put your okay. fuel additive first, then put the fuel in it, and you should be good to go. And, okay. yeah, I, I recommend to everybody I know, if you're taking a trip, just put your can of additive in it, fuel it up in that order, and and go for it. Because when you're running out at freeway speeds, consistent run, you're not creating a dirty engine like you are when you're doing the short runs. Okay. okay. And, and the other question. Thanks for the call, Mike. The other question I had was um, when. Oh yeah, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I had to. I had to raise the pinion angle on my on my vehicle to get the drive line lined up. So um, that was, I believe, it was starving the pinion bearing with the axle lube. So I put a. Yep. There's no way to get any more in. So I found an aftermarket differential cover that has a raised fill plug hole, and mm-hmm. that allows me to get about a half a quart more in. It was about an inch higher. So I had read that yep. if you put too much differential lube in, it can foam, and then it can actually overheat, and it was it was a bad thing. So I'm just wondering at what point. So right now I can get about, I was getting a quart and a half of lube in the differential, and with the raised fill plug, I can get two quarts in. I'm just wondering at what point What's am I... It's a Dana 35 axle. What? It's on a Jeep. It's a Dana 35 axle. It's um, on a Jeep? Yeah. Okay. What angle did you put on it? Six degrees. How much of a lift kit did you put on your truck? Uh, three inch. Three inch? Ah. Uh, okay. Well, one, if you run synthetic differential gear lube, are you running synthetic in it? Yes. It's Mobile, mobile One uh, 7590. Step it up. Step it up to the, I think it's 8140. Yeah, yeah, Uh, 140 is a higher one. And then make make sure on the top of the axle that that little vent that's there, if the vent is working properly, it will vent out and it won't create too much pressure to where it starts blowing past your axle seals. You know what I'm talking about? The vent is, uh, it runs a hose and it runs all the way up by the gas tank. It's, you, have, you have to actually look, you have to actually pull a little uh, a plastic cover off by the wheel well to get in there and look at it. It's, it's not sitting on top of the axle. It's, they, they vent it up higher to keep it out of the water. Okay, I, under, I understand that. But they still plug up on the inside. And they, what have we got, a quarter inch line going down to it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, make sure that you check that periodically because when that stuff starts plugging up and the the pressure from the gear, the pinion gear is lubed by slosh. And when you get that in there, you should be able to do it with that to cover. You shouldn't be hurt by that. And that's one of the things that they used to do. I've seen stuff come in there that had pumps on it that went in and they had it capped into where the pinion bearing sets in the front, 
and they actually force the lube into the pinion bearing. I've seen that. That is that's a NASCAR modification. It doesn't, you know, it's not practical. But you can do the pinion uh, at a three-inch lift. You shouldn't be having that much of a problem with that. If you lost the pinion on it, uh, that's that's out of the ordinary for three. Six inch, yeah, it gets a little extreme. But the three inch, you should be able to do a, a Jeep. Of course, you can do a body lift and pick it up too. But um, most people that do a body lift on one for bigger tires don't have any problems with the suspension whatsoever. Six but on, on the one that you got, yeah, I, I just add three-quarters of a quart in it and make sure that your vent line is clear because if your vent line is not clear, you're going to build up pressure on the inside, and it's a lube. It goes to the point of least resistance, which is the seal lip on your seals, okay? It'll push past them, and that's what creates a leak. That's what contaminates your rear brake shoes or rear brake pads. Because it leaks out and starts spinning around. Okay, that's going to be one of the but, symptoms. Then, is if I see lube coming out through the um, through the brakes and the brake area, and look at the inner axle inside, right where the uh, backing plate bolts up to the axle. If you've got a leak, it'll be showing up right there. It'll come back first, and then it starts migrating out to the brakes. And, and because they because they put the hose on the vent and ran it up so high, I was afraid that. You know, building up pressure, and I'm not even going to see it because it bent so high. And I was just afraid of putting too much well, lube in. Um, you know, you do know that you can change the length of that hose, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you lifted that Jeep, you voided your warranty anyway. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, well, well we, we all have our toys. No, the warranty ran out about 23 or 24 years ago. So. Oh, you're in good shape. Reposition your hose. Uh, check okay. that vent. Make sure it's, it is working like it's supposed designed to do. And I'd put that darn hose where I can see it. I want to okay. see it if it's leaking out or pushing oil out. And at least you know the darn thing is working. Okay. okay. And you know it's clear. But it has to be clear. We see a lot of stuff with the old, the ones that had the caps on them. And they, they, before they modified them and put the little plastic grommet on it, and then they put a hose so that if you go out in the deep water. Now, if you're going to be running in the water, when you do put that thing on it, you can still make it vent. You can make it vent, but you need to secure the line so that it don't drag it off when you're out off-roading. Yeah, okay. it, has, it has a little plastic flapper on it, and I replaced it with a metal one. Well, that should be good. They, they that should be at, uh, good. They had those at Merle's. But, it's, it's, it's a yep. direct replacement for it. Yeah, good, good. Well, you seem like you've got that part. And the right. other thing we're running, the good differential gear lube in it, synthetic oil does not drain off like a paraffin-based oil. It actually adheres to the metal, and it'll stay on there longer. So And it gives you a film on the gear even before you start to drive away. It's already got that synthetic film on the gear when uh, and the bearings when you go. So you sound like you're doing all the right things. I'm, I'm surprised that you okay. burn a bearing. Okay. Um, yeah, so I just – anyway, I got uh, half a quart. I got about 16 ounces more in there. 
and so I'll just watch the vent. I mean, I'll reposition the vent. Just keep an eye on that and watch the uh, brake brake drum area. I guess then, right? Yeah, just get it where it's accessible so that you can see it without having to jack the Jeep up and tear it apart. Okay. And then switch over to... So you've already modified it, and, you know, so that'll help you a little bit. And keep in, keep in mind, do you tow a boat? No, I don't tow anything with it. Okay, you don't tow anything, so you don't have to worry about backing it off in the water that comes up past the headlights? Right, right. Okay, because everything's a player, everything's a player, runoffs crossing uh, the roads when they're flooded and all sorts of stuff comes into it. But don't cross any flooded roads with that because I know you've got bigger tires on there or you wouldn't be talking about a lift kit. So you've got bigger tires on there and bigger tires have more air in them and bigger tires will also literally float and they actually will move around when the water's coming sideways at you. So heads up. Sound like you got a good one. You pay attention. That's that's a plus. That's a plus all the way. But good luck. But I would reposition that vent uh, tube not not all the way down at the axle because you can run across a lot of slush and stuff like that. But with the gears, the more you run them out on the freeway, the better the lube sloshes up, and it's a continual flow of lube making it to the pinion bearing. Okay, it's when you're off roading and you're climbing is when the least amount of is getting there because you're running in low range and you're not operating at a high speed, so you have less slop. But synthetic has a foaming agent in it that is not supposed to let it foam up. Okay. So you thing, should be. Uh, that's your, if. Go ahead. Oh, the first thing I notice is when I when I raise the pinion angle because it, it it so I get the drive drive shaft in line, that actually lowers the fill plug. So I was actually getting less lube in than with the stock pinion angle, which is why I decided to go exactly. with the with the aftermarket cover. I think that what you did is should work out perfect on it. Okay. Just make sure that vent's open, because if you don't, it'll build up pressure and it'll start going after the seals on the end of the axles. Okay. Okay? Okay. Thanks, sir. All right. Appreciate the call. You got any other questions on the Jeep? Oh, no, that's it. Thanks, man. Good deal. Happy motoring, Mike. Take care, buddy. All right. 719-1490, 719-1490, 719-1490, 719-1490. I need to get some of these sponsors that bring your show to you. LensAutoBrokerage.com, LensAutoBrokerage.com, <clears throat> DesertRV.com. And then I've been talking about Parker, but I didn't give out his phone number. Parker Automotive, 520-323-1960, open Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. They're at 5101 East Speedway. Excellent shop. Excellent service. Highly recommended. Merrill's Auto. uh, He was just, Mike was just talking about Merrill's Auto. They got a little bit of everything. Merrill'sAuto.com. They've got about 10 locations in Tucson. You can access the locations by going to either your smartphone, your laptop, or a computer. MerrillsAuto.com and get all the locations and around the state. They got them in Sierra Vista. They got them in Casa Grande. They got them in Green Valley. 
they're 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 all over the place. They got them in Fort Huachuca. I mean, uh, Sierra Vista, uh, Safford. No, I think they might have closed that one in Safford. But go to MerrillsAuto.com and find the locations of the store the closest to you. You'll be happy you did. Now, uh, we're talking about automotive specialists, Brian Fuller's place, 3611 West Ina Road. Mr. Test First, don't guess. And, by the way, he told me to pass that on to you this morning, so I have. Uh, Their phone number is 520-237-3852. That's Brian's personal cell phone. You can get him. And the shop number is 520-572-1734. They're also closed on a Saturday trying to get a breather because he's got so much work over there. They are just like Simmons, just like Parker. It's by appointments. By appointments only. That's the only way we can service our clients and get them in and get them out. And keep in mind, we are still having problems like Spectrum Ino with Spectrum Ina Road Auto Collision Center. We're still having issues with our supply chains, parts availability. And for the weekend warriors, and I noticed a buddy of mine didn't do it, but if you're going to be doing your car, make sure you have got replacement parts. If the if it's not working, then just pull it off. I mean, it's not going to work anyway. But if it's still working a little bit, make sure that you can get the replacement part and don't have to wait two weeks for it before you start your little weekend project because it'll turn into a nightmare. One, you've got the parts off of it, they're not, uh, and you're just doing a little preventive maintenance, and it's giving you a little bit of aggravation, but it'll still run. Make sure you can get your hands on that part before you pull that running part off, and it'll save you a lot of time because you'll think, well, it was running, so now you got to put it all back together. And then it'll, I'll guarantee you it's going to take more than just that part when you start putting it back together because it depends on what you pulled off to what kind of seals that you're going to have to replace, all sorts of stuff that goes with it. So make sure the parts are available before you pull the part off the car that you're working on, especially if you're if your driver, if you're going to work vehicle, make sure that you cover your bases before you start that. And as Jim will tell you, be sure to work safe when you're working. Um, if you're doing shocks and doing struts, when you do the struts, get a strut kit from Merle's. Get a strut kit from Merrill's. It's got everything in it to properly do the struts on a car. You don't have to buy separate plates or anything. The kit is complete. You put it on. It takes about half the time it does to put it in piece at a time and re-modify everything as you're going back in it because something's bent always. And you can buy those kits at Merrill's. It's called a strut kit. And they'll have them, and then you buy the kit, you go take it out of the box, put it on, follow the instructions, life is good. For the recalls, people that are driving the cars, I, I covered this earlier, about 30% of you are still driving a car that has an active recall. If you think that you fit into this class, go to National Highway Transportation Safety Authority. Dot VIN, N-H-T as in Tom's, S as in Sam, A-Apple, dot vin v i n and see and put your vin number in it that's reading you got vin on it put your vin number in behind put your vin number behind 
the word VIN and have it checked and see if you're one of those with an active recall. And if it is, read what the recall is because it'll show it and get that handled because, as I said before, a recall notice is a safety recall. It's for your safety. And a technical service bulletin tells you that, oh, and by the way, you know, all these garages have had these little problems with it, and we picked up on it by reviewing the parts that's being turned in premature, premature failure parts. And this is what you can do. You can now you upgrade it to the upgraded part, and that's how normally the technical service bulletins come out. Or they'll they'll say okay, and or this is because of a computer glitch, and we need to reprogram a computer, and then your problem will go away. A lot of your electronics is a computer upgrade, and it'll cure it. So that covers that. All right, Jim, how much time we got left? Are you following it? Uh, we got like about two, maybe three minutes. Okay. Two minutes. minutes. All right. Right, there right, we right go. on target. Yep. You're pretty good, Jim. I'm glad you stayed awake with me this morning. Um, so <laughs> have you got anything else that you want to put out on driver safety or um, any of the, um, you know, a- anything that we've discussed? Well, I, <laughs> two minutes, I couldn't cover everything we discussed because you ran the gamut again today, well, which no, is good. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, you, you did. You, ran, you covered everything: cooling and tires and suspension and gas and electric. And, and the only thing we needed was a uh, was a TEP guy here. But um, no, I just um, everybody. I want to be up and be safe today. <laughs> I want to want you to, to pay attention to your driving. Pay attention to the road. There's a lot of chuck holes. There's a lot of it's Saturday. People are biking. People are not paying attention. They've, you know, they've got done with the work week and they, they're trying to relax. So that means you can't relax while you're driving. Uh, so I want everybody to be no. safe. Cool. No crashes. Pay no distracted driving. If you're going to celebrate, take an Uber. Get a get phone a friend who isn't drinking with you. Abs- that's absolutely. Um, that's actually good information uh and keep in mind when you when your phone goes off and there's text message on it the average response time on a text message is 13 minutes so you've got 13 minutes to find a parking place and return that text and be safe all right we're out of time